started. Yeah, hey, if you find Peter is very excitable and animated, it's because well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping that the guys who are doing the demolition next door will will, will quit while we're ahead. Uh-huh. We'll keep right. it down. There you go. But no, basically, we need, them to keep, we need them to keep it down. Mm-hmm. What I started to say was that um, if he sounds extra energized, it's because he's been drinking an energy drink called. Um, be bad. I have to ask you about that that title. And um, okay. we're talking to um, you're the um, uh, spokesperson for the U.S. Denise Willie. Yes, I'm. So I'm the brand manager here in the United States. Okay, and um, and just tell us about this. I mean, energy drinks um, have a kind of a shady reputation, except um, everybody came out praising be bad because it was all natural is that Mm -hmm. correct yes 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 well thank you first of all for the opportunity to speak with you and um, and talk about this brand it truly is a unique brand Um, first of all we're a honey company our parent company Um, we have a tradition in honey that goes back four generations and the owner of the company recognized um, about five or so years ago that um, there was a growing appreciation uh, around honey as a natural source of sweetener, you know, as a sweetener and with all the enzymes and, um, uh, you know, healthy um, qualities that honey um, has as, as part of its, as part of its uh, history. Um, so he took... Well, because I love bees, you know. I think they have a great reputation, too. Although well, I'm not sure about your advertising that says bees never sleep, because ours did. <laughs> uh, well, so actually that's true. Bees never sleep because they they're always flapping their wings in the hive. They're 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 um, they, to to keep the hive um, warm. So so that it truly is that that's that's a, that's actually a fact. Then um, bees are fascinating. Cre- bees are fascinating creatures. They're they're absolutely. Um, incredible creatures and I think we really don't fully understand how they help us um, uh, as, as, as humanity and, and, and on, on the earth. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot that we don't understand about the bees and why they're dying and so on. But They um, dance. They dance and everything. They dance. <laughs> they dance and they dance and you know why they dance? Because yeah, to give directions. They, and yeah, exactly. They, they dance to give it's directions. It's language. It's language. It's their language. And we, um, we, we interviewed the beekeeper in charge of all the rooftop uh, hives in London and in, in a certain central business district of London. Mm-hmm. And she told us all these amazing things about bees because she knows mm-hmm. about all that. Like, yeah. including, like including the fact that, that there are bees in large numbers who inhabit the gardens of Buckingham Palace. Yeah, oh, I'm not surprised. I'm sure they have, well, they, they do. They have a royal beekeeper. I, I've actually, um, I've read about this, this uh, the, the, the fact that they have that. Um, we actually do a lot of work with beekeepers. So, so not only is the brand um, featuring honey and all the wonderful qualities, um, you know, honey, bee-made uh, ingredients that promote good health, but we also supply the honey for our brand, um, from our own operations, and we work with beekeepers all over the world. So, so we do an, imp- an important part of our backstory is sustainability, um, developing professional beekeeping practices. We have a, one of the largest um, organic facilities in the world in Brazil, um, right near Pistem, wow. which is a port um, uh, in Brazil. 
and uh, we, we work with a cooperative of beekeepers there in an area that is um, not uh, prone to commercial agriculture because it used to be under the, under the ocean floor in Paleolithic. Oh, wow. Back, back in the day with dinosaurs. So, yeah. so it's so full of rocks and, and minerals and, and um, fossils that there's no commercial agri- agriculture. So we actually have a very clean organic honey that comes out of there. Um, yeah, the, we work the with company is based, you, said, you told us in the beginning, the com- company is actually owned in Italy? So the company is owned by an Argentine family, um, oh, the Argentine Brody family. family. Okay. Yep, it's an Argentine family. Um, they actually emigrated from Italy, the great-grandfather, four generations ago, from a town in Italy named Mele, M-E-L-E. Okay. And it was in the mid-19th century they came to Argentina. A lot of Italians emigrated to Argentina. Yeah, and they, were they established a lumber operation, which became very successful. In the 1990s, they, um, uh, one of the, the, you know, the uh, grandchildren um, developed the first automated, they had a, the, a lot of wood scrap that they didn't want to just throw away. They wanted to use it. So he, he invented um, an automated system to build beehives. It was oh, the first automated beehive operation in the world. And he actually came to the United States, sold it to um, some large companies here. But in the process of developing this beehive, the company um, evolved from, from lumber into honey because the beekeepers in Argentina often couldn't pay for the beehives because it's such a difficult job to be a beekeeper and to make a profit. So they started uh-huh. trading honey. So it became okay. a full circle story. Um, so they started trading in honey. They developed, they, they, um, uh, developed export operations all over the world to diversify because Argentina is a very difficult climate to do business in. Um, and in the process, ended up back in, Argenti- in uh, Italy excuse me, and, fa- and established a plant near Mele, and when they went to look at the um, baptismal records of the great-grandfather, Giovanni Parodi, um, they found that that's where the town that he was they confirmed he was born there, and the motto was, my name comes from honey. Ah, how they joined. So it was, was a great backstory. It's an incredible story because it really, you know, they backed into it, but that was their, that was their calling all along. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the so the so Diego Parodi, who's now the owner of the comp- of, of the Parodi Group, which is the honey company uh, that 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 uh, that's our parent company, um, he recognized that you know people were very interested in in honey. They wanted um, product, healthy products that have honey as a as a natural source of sweetener, and you know royal jelly, propolis, everything that we have access yeah. to. And though they, they formulated BeeBad with a formulator that was um, from Ferrero Rocher in Italy. He developed the first generation of BeeBad. And um, when was that? That was about five years ago, I guess, um, okay. around five years. And um, they launched the original uh, in the different packaging. Uh, it was, you know, really their first attempt at the food, um, natural food side of this business um, because they're, 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 History is really honey is about its bulk uh, ingredient and also retail. They do they do retail work as well, private label and retail. But um, to de- but but the whole idea of of, of using honey in in a, you know in a, as an ingredient in their own natural food product like an energy drink was completely new to them. So so that was um, 
that was how Be Bad was born. They, they recognized that there was this bad reputation and there was a void uh, 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 in the energy drink market for someone to present a product with honey as a sweetener. We're, we're the first and we're still the only. Um, yeah. There's no other energy drink that has but You honey. have other things in there, though, that are um, actually... Uh, healthy too. We're uh, disregarding the caffeine, which can be overdone in these energy drinks. Mm-hmm. But you have other um, amazing ingredients that yes, you we would, do. You, we do. You, we you we have. Find. Uh, no, we have. Well, so I don't think people recognize or realize um, the premium nature of this brand. Um, we have royal jelly, which is a very expensive ingredient. Yeah, well, um, the product itself is kind of pricey, isn't it? Um, actually, no. <laughs> the retail is the same as a Red Bull. We, really? we retail, yep, we retail around two ninety nine, uh, from two ninety nine to three forty nine, and Red Bull. That's at, at, we're an eight point four ounce can, and that's what Red Bull charges. But I will say, Red Bull does not cost nearly as much to produce because it's right. Its, it's ingredient base is not natural. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, and and we're and we're tor- so we have caffeine. It's a na- it's natural. It's caffeine from the green coffee bean, so it's a natural source of caffeine. We're only oh, eighty milligrams. Good. We're we're eighty milligrams, which is the equivalent of a cup of coffee. Some of these energy. Oh yeah, that's different because you know some of these drinks are like so high in caffeine. Oh, I I wonder at the gym where it's consumed a great deal. Oh, uh, oh, why yeah. they don't kill over with a heart attack? Well, and they have, and that's that's something that you know Red Bull has had several lawsuits. Um, I think Celsius is right now struggling with, um, they have taurine as part of their ingredient mix, and I think they also have oh, caffeine. So yeah. um, we have, we're taurine-free. We have 80 milligrams of caffeine, uh, the equivalent of a cup of coffee. Uh, and then we, our, our source of energy is really the honey, the caffeine, of course, um, that, that is in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the energy drink. But um, it's the honey. Honey is nature's perfect fuel. When you think of long-distance athletes, runners, they use those honey um, gels as they run. The honey is, is an a, a amazing source of fuel. Uh, so that, that's really one of the reasons that we wanted to work to create an energy drink that featured honey, uh, that really highlighted it, because honey is prized by athletes the world over for energy yeah. and, and healthy qualities. Um, you have plenty of that on your website. They're all about the athletes, some yeah. real hawks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, no, yeah. No, I mean, yes. Yeah, uh, go ahead. I'm not much of an athlete, but uh, I did, but I, but I did, I did drink all the bee bad. Uh, oh, there you go. Well, and so, and the nice thing is about this brand, and I hear this a lot. I go and I do a lot of demos. I, I, I really believe you need to know your audience. You need to have, you know, conversations with them and, and appreciate what they're looking for. And really what I hear over and over and over again are two things. It tastes great, unlike many of these other drinks. It's clean. It's crisp. There's no aftertaste. And there's no jitters or crash. They never really yeah, the like jitters it. is the thing that's so bad about all those like Red Bull and stuff. Yes, you, you don't experience that with you don't experience that with this product because honey, again, it's nature's perfect fuel. It's long lasting. It's you know, it's a it's it's a nice boost, but it's not that over the top two hundred milligrams charged you know cat where you crash afterwards. None of that. Yeah, and so you come, really you get it, it now in, in your formulation. You also have flavors and, and the sparkling and non-sparkling? Oh, no, it's all, it's, so it's lightly all sparkling. sparkling. 
It's all lightly, it's not heavily carbonated, but it's lightly carbonated. And um, people seem to like that for the most part. Uh, it also makes a really good mixer. We've had a lot of interest in this. They're energizing cocktails are trending. Oh, wow. And so Red Bull and vodka, which has been around forever, um, is, has been one of the you know, mainstays in the energizing cocktail kind of category. Uh, but now as, na- as people turn away from you know, um, uh, conventional brands to more natural, um, they're really coming to appreciate what we offer with our brand because it, it does. It makes a tremendous mixer. I, I, I hear over and over again at demos, um, where's the alcohol? <laughs> And, you know, I, I, I obviously can't provide alcohol at, you know, at Zabar's or some of the places that we work with in New York. But, um, but we do work with, for example, Bottle King in New Jersey, and they've taken – and we're, we're being considered by ABC Liquors. And, you know, there, are, there, there is definitely a lot of cross-marketing, um, uh, cross-channel um, opportunities for this brand because it is – it, it, it can, it's applicable in a lot of ways. Um, now, you just customer. won two Sophie's at the mm-hmm. Specialty Food Association's mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Fancy Food Show. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember, what were they for? One was... Um, so it was Best, best new, new Functional Beverage yeah. and Best in, in Class, basically. Be- best Functional okay. Beverage. And what was nice was. about that is that was for the hibiscus. So we have three flavors. We have Original, which we launched... Um, first, it was the first uh, um, uh, skew that we launched. And then we recognized that one skew alone really is not enough on the shelf. You have to build around it with something. So we came out in the fall, it was almost like a relaunch with hibiscus and low calorie, a low calorie version of the original. That, and we also changed our packaging. We, we made it cleaner. Um, our original packaging was, was black and yellow, and it was a little bit hard to read, and um, they, they, they felt that, that we really need to, to pull the line together with a cleaner um, look. And so we, we, it was really, in my mind, a, re- a relaunch uh, of the brand in, in, in last fall. Um, and hibiscus, we submitted to the um, you know specialty food. Well, hibiscus is like the hot new flavor, but it's been the hot new flavor for about six years. <laughs> it, it has, and you know something? It's it, it is the, probably the great the, be, the best seller we have. It's our I would say that's our anchor skew in that pretty much everyone who tries it, including the the the, the panel at the um, specialty food association, just they love it. Um, they love the taste. They love they love. Yeah, it's, the whole thing just, you know, it's very unique. And there's very few other brands, um, energy drink brands, that are working with hibiscus as a flavor. So well, it's, hibiscus, it's, had, hibiscus had some, some success as an, iced, as an iced tea flavoring. Yes, it yeah. did. Um, it actually did. You're absolutely right. And we're talking actually with a distributor um, in Boston, in the Massachusetts area, who had a great success with a with a tea that is a hibiscus tea, a very high um, quality tea. So yeah, um, I think you know um, it's definitely it was a great choice for a line extension. And, and it's pretty. Uh, it's also pretty. Don't forget it, that. Yeah. It, it is pretty. It's like candy. Um, uh-huh. And um, the ingredient mix for the hib- for the hibiscus is a little bit different. Um, we have ginger. We have guarana, acerola, acai. Um, Acai, so, no less. Yeah. Yes. So again, we're in the spirit of providing the the best mix of healthy ingredients to uh, support uh, health. Um, 
you know, uh, immune system building and, you know, known for antioxidant, uh, you know, these ingredients I think are appreciated uh, by consumers who know um, natural uh, foods uh, for mm-hmm. their qualities that are, that are positive, healthy qualities. So, yeah. So, no, um, you, you, of course, have a lot of this information on your website. I have to comment that, that in addition to the, um, the bodybuilders, <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Pretty yeah. major. Uh, in yeah. addition to that, you do have a lot of cute bees. <laughs> I do, yes. <laughs> I love and, bees. Yes, and, you know, we can do so much more with, with that, uh, and we are actually in the process of considering how we can improve, um, you know, our, our, our marketing because there is no shortage of wonderful, um, you know, material to work with um, for this brand. There's just, you know, the, from the bees and how amazing they are to, um, you know, the ingredients and the qualities that they have and where they come from and, and, uh, and how we're helping beekeepers and, and bees around the world, which yeah. I, I don't think we interviewed realize. We interviewed um, a, a company in, uh, was it West Africa, where mm-hmm. they work with the native um, traditional beekeepers. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, 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 a tribe that, has worked with beekeeping for generations, mm-hmm. if not longer. Yeah. And, well, we yeah. actually, we actually um, w- with uh, USAID, we had a project in Ethiopia, and we helped develop the first professional. They have a co-op, and we helped develop uh, professional beekeeping practices in Ethiopia. If you, if you see the on the website, you go to the WHO page, and you look down, you'll see the Ethiopian. There's a picture of, of uh, the USAID, um, a couple of the people that we were training. They actually did treetop hives. I mean, they, this, is, um, this is through the Parodi Foundation, so that's the philanthropic arm of the company. Um, they, they used to have treetop uh, hives, and the, the, the method of extracting the honey was to climb the tree, yeah, <laughs> put the, to put a flame on the smoke the bees out or burn the hive, okay. drop it to the ground, so literally destroying the hive. That's and, terrible. And um, so you know, uh, we so we had an opportunity to come in, and and not to mention when these poor individuals were attacked, which the the, the bees were trying to defend themselves yeah, exactly. for good reason, <laughs> they would fall and they would sometimes. Be, they would either seriously injure themselves or, or be killed. Mm-hmm. So it was it's a very... The group that we talked to, um, the, the, the tribes uh, historically had been known for uh, conservation um, and, and the, those kinds of practices. So mm-hmm. they weren't the ones that put them on the top of the trees. Well, so we worked with uh, the Zimbabwe Union, which is the nation's biggest cooperative of honey. And if you think about Ethiopia and its biblical references to honey, Ethiopia has a huge, a wonderfully rich tradition of honey. But they haven't developed their abilities to be able to produce more than, they, that they, than for their domestic consumption. Now, through the work that we've, been, we've done with this uh, cooperative, they actually now are in a position to sell to the global market. And, um, and they've done uh, some, some um, organic work out of there, some very important organic work because Ethiopia is relatively clean still. <laughs> so there are very few places in the world where you can actually get really clean organic honey, and Ethiopia is one of the last frontiers of clean honey in the world. Well, now, Denise, how did you get involved with these people? So my father was in the food business, 
my father, after he retired from GM, he um, came back to the United States and was tired of working for corporate America and decided I'm going to, because my mother's from South America, she's from Chile, uh, if you know anything about the southern part of South America in the winter, when it's winter here in the U.S., there's an amazing array of beautiful fruits and vegetables in the southern cone of, of uh, yeah, and South we, America. We lived in Australia for a while, so I know about that. So, I mean, well, so the he, opposite. So there yeah. you go. So, so he took advantage of, of the fact that he had, you know, my mother was from there and he, he went out and literally started to just he put coins in a in the in the old fashioned coin, to telephones you know where you put the coin in and and would start dialing um, <laughs> producers growers and he he developed a stable of clients looking to expand their business in the United States he actually worked with with Christopher Ranch with garlic he just, oh, they actually were dear friends he just passed away. Um, uh, the owner of Christopher Ranch. Um, they were dear friends for many, many years. Um, so my father developed um, uh, you know, a, a business, uh, and eventually I was actually in the publishing business. I had um, three children, and, my mo- and I, I took a break because I needed to be a mother. And my, my mom came up to me and said, you know, your father isn't going to you know, take all his contacts with him. Maybe you should think about joining him and helping his company. And of course, you know, I speak fluent Spanish and Portuguese, and he would talk about a container load, and I thought, what the heck is he talking about? What is a container load? Like, I, I, it was totally Greek to me. And um, I actually, he's, you know, I talked to him about it. I said, look, you know, I don't want to take away from your business. I want to build on your, you know, business, help you. So he said, let's go to South America together. I want to introduce you to some people. And he introduced me to the Perotti family. They were, we were at a food show, actually. In, uh, it was, uh, I think it was Apimondia down in... Um, in, the South, in, that, in Argentina, or uh, I can't remember exactly, but, it, but that's, I think, where we met. And they said, well, what would you like to do? And I said, I really don't know. <laughs> I've never worked in this business before. And they said, we need somebody to help us. Your father's so busy. Uh, build our honey business, our ingredient business in the United States. Would you be interested? I said, yes. I said, I would. I'd love to try. So I did. I, I got involved, and I grew the business fourfold here in the United States to the well, point where they built you. a packing facility in Florida, which we own now today. Um, and, uh, and then eventually my role evolved into this retail project, which uh, has, it's been fun because I've done every aspect of the food business, from bulk, ingredient, food service, yeah. to, um, to retail. And retail is a beast. <laughs> retail is a beast. Retail is a beast, let me tell you, but it's and it's never dull. <laughs> yeah. Well, well so that's anyhow, how I got it's, involved. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great, and it's a great product, and, and yeah. Um, yeah. Where where do you go from here? I mean, with I mean, do you add flavors, or do you just expand market, or what do you do? So I think what we're trying to do. So we're a global brand. So we're all over the world. Uh, where BeBad is um, in, I guess I'm trying to see, I'm trying to see how many countries we're in right now. I asked, actually asked the owner this morning for an update. Um, so we're in um, Europe, we're in Italy, uh, in Spain, in the Baltics, Switzerland, Romania, Venezuela. We're all over the world. We're in we're in Germany, mm-hmm. Belgium, Guatemala, and we just recently expanded into Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. Um, so we're we're but the U.S is really a big source of they're really eager to try to establish a US market because of the potential here. Unlike yeah. some of these other countries, you know, uh, they work with a distributor model that you have the retailers associated with the distributor. They actually own the re- the distribution chain. In the US, that's not the case. 
And so here, you know, we work with Source Atlantique, which is our master importer, our distributor, master distributor here in the United States. They're the largest uh, specialty food importer here in the United States, and they're wonderful partners. Um, and we work through UNFI, CAHI, DSD. We're trying to build DSD distribution in, 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 um, in, in a strategic way, which um, is important for cold case placement. Um, but, you know, our, our, our efforts have been to just become deeper and then wider. We're trying to be strategic. We're, we're very successful in independent natural chains through UNFI and CAHI. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in Whole Foods uh, regionally in South, Southern Pacific and uh, Mid-Atlantic and Midwest. Uh, and we're, you know, being considered by some other ch- major, some other natural and, and um, important grocery chains. But um, but we're really focusing and trying to to really. We're a niche product. We will never build, never beat Red Bull, and nor do we want to, or any of these oh, other no, conventional yeah. drinks. We're we're a niche product. So we're really trying to take that one or two or three percent of the market share in a strategic way. So I think that's where we're at right now is trying to deepen and widen um, you know, what, what we're, the markets where it makes sense for us to be um, well, uh, that's, on the shelf. Good. I mean, it, it, just look recently how many of the big dogs have, have gone bankrupt. Think of it. Right, and trying to do too much too fast. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is, there's no doubt um, it's, a, it's a very expensive endeavor, and, and, you know, we're constantly up against, you know, how do we spend our resources, how do we, ma- you know, and, and it's, 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 it's huge. It's a huge undertaking. Um, and there's a lot of money out there being thrown out at, um, you know, um, establishing distribution, you know, um, in ways that we cannot uh, we just aren't, we're, we're an emerging brand, we're smaller. Um, but we're, you know, chipping away, and the recognition by um, getting the Sophie Awards was a huge um, validation it, it that we're, it, it uh, yeah. yeah, and that, and that we're definitely on the right track. I, I would say, I was told by a judge who came by and introduced himself that up to 200 brands went after those awards. And so, oh, that, it's huge. I mean, it's huge. In fact, I mean, I, I would never, ever take on responsibility of the judging of that, of the um, Sophie things. I mean, it, it's so awful. They just shove stuff in their mouths constantly for days. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so for me, the fact that they said, yes, you're the best out here right now in real time means that there was something very special about this particular uh, the hibiscus, um, which we submitted, and yeah. you know it was a great honor for us. So it, it felt very good. I, I, I jumped up and down in glee. I was like, "All right, finally!" You know, because <laughs> there's so little time, and you know everybody's working so hard to establish distribution, and you know there's it's a cutthroat business, and you know um, to just to have a moment of celebration was was just was wonderful so um, and so we're we're trying to take that and build off of it and uh, we're about to hopefully work with a digital marketing company and and this award is going to be a big part of what we're doing um, having the opportunity to speak to, to to you both and be on your podcast is a wonderful privilege that came as a result of of this award so yeah it's it's you know, I take I don't take anything for granted. <laughs> Every blessing I try to maximize one step at a time. I was in New York today and um, um, just walking through some of our customers, and um, one of them is an Equinox on the Upper West Side. And the buyer said to me, "Yeah, we're moving three cases a week of hibiscus and, and, and original." I was like, "Oh my gosh, really? That's wonderful." 
um, that to me that's music to my ears. I can use that now to try to build yeah. you know, a story and get some in, some interest in some other ways. So yeah, they have a, they have a huge business equinox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, we're not we? in all the equinoxes. We're just in this particular one. Um, and, no, but and, I mean, it has an yeah. appeal to other um, other people in that profession. So oh sure, I mean, you, yeah, oh, yeah. So and I'll, and I'll tell you well. which is which is another area. I mean, we have college students who are also really in, looking for healthy alternatives, but but also, um, uh, you know, those hardworking nurses and doctors. We sold out at oh. Bellevue Hospital Delhi. We sold out because they were tired of coffee and some of the other brands, they, they, just, they just didn't want to consume them. So, um, so police, firemen, you know, these, these are people that have to maintain energy levels for long periods of time and and I, I can't tell you I mean I, I was in a doctor's office the other day and I saw a row of, of another brand which I don't want to mention but um, <laughs> I said oh my gosh I said is it, you're drinking that can I give you you know I went to the car and I gave them a mixed case I said here try this you need to try this and they're always <laughs> thank me you know because they're like oh my god we didn't know this existed thank you so much we'd rather have this <laughs> so it's good yeah well you're going to have a, a good time with this you're working with a great brand, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us about it. Oh, keep us posted on what you do next. Oh, thank Let you. Let us we keep will. us up to date. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anne and, uh, and uh, Robert. Thank you keep so much for, for, for the opportunity. Yes. Okay. Thank right. you, and, and, and go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. And let, me, and let me know um, when it comes out. I don't know. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, we do all the know. social media stuff. So, oh, good. So just, yeah, yeah. I'd, love to, I'd love to get a copy when it gets published. So, so oh, yeah. thank well, you again. Yeah, we can do that. We can give thank you a sound you. file. Thank okay. you. Thank you. <laughs> thank Have you. a wonderful day. Thank you and a good weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Yes, we're going to be talking cocktails. Peter and I are talking over each other, but basically uh, he's more of a cocktail buff than I am. But I I thought I'd at least mention that we're talking um, to John DeBerry. Great name, John DeBerry. It sounds so (laughs) French aristocratic. Dewberry. It's actually it's actually <laughs> Belgian by way of Germany. Belgian, okay, there you go. Really? Yeah. Well, that's my great my great grandfather was a von Berry, and he switched over to Dewberry when he um, he defected from Kaiser Wilhelm in 1913. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, well, it's a good was yeah. a good time to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 the wind good, is blowing. Yeah, good ju- he had good judgment. <laughs> he did. Yeah. So, um, you drink a lot of uh, cocktails. Uh, yeah, I have drank a lot of cocktails over my, um, I, I just want to say it's about 15-year career of working in, in bars and restaurants, yeah. And you've really worked in some outstanding places. Uh, tell, us, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and some of these places where you worked. They're, um, they're, they're sort of, um, what, what do you call it, they're 
not icons. I wanted a different thing, like the what oh, pilgrimage I mean, likes I, for cocktails. I don't think I, I don't think iconic is is, is wrong. Um, definitely, you could call them icons, but um, yeah. Uh, the the first place I got really lucky. I got I got to um, have my first bartending job at this place called PDT, which is short which for is, Please Don't Tell, and it's a uh, kind oh, of a neo okay. speakeasy. Yeah, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's a neo speakeasy that's on St. Mark's Place in the East Village in Manhattan. Uh, you enter through a, a hot dog booth and um, reservations, and uh, yeah, very, uh, very reverent to the cocktail. I was I was there for um, five and a half years, um, and wow. then I also while I was there, I was also part time working uh, at one of the Momofuku restaurants, uh, Momofuku Sambar, which at the time was on Thirteenth wow. and Second. Um, and then since moved, uh, in about three years ago it moved, but, uh, I was there for a few years. I split my time between the two places and then eventually I went full time, uh, for Momofuku and I was the company's uh, bar director. Um, and I was, I was there during a time of really rapid expansion. Um, and I actually opened 10 restaurants, uh, for the group, uh, while overseeing and kind of high level kind of making sure all of the other bar programs in the, in the company were up to standard and were innovating and had, you know, the right. So what company is that you're talking about? Tell me that. Momofuku. Momofuku. Is the Momofuku. For, oh, yeah, oh I can't ask you Chang. that. I was going to ask you <laughs> your thoughts on David Chang. <laughs> I can't ask you that. <laughs> he, was, he was my boss for nine years. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, really, it's really funny. I, I wanted to pop it into something here because this, this, was the, this, this was the era when the James Beard Awards became christened the David Chang Memorial. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, ironically enough, I actually was went on stage for the James Beard Awards, not for anything related to Momofuku, but uh, because PDT uh, was the first bar to win uh, for Outstanding Bar Program at the awards. I think it was 2010? I don't know. I don't remember, but yeah, we were there. <laughs> where, where, where was that, John? Uh, the James Beard Awards. I think that they were back at, at the time they were still happening. They're still in, in New York. In Lincoln Center, but, yeah. But what did you win for? Uh, outstanding bar program. Yeah, so they just added a category for bars. Yeah. That was the first year for it. Yeah, I mean, it was. they used to be fun. I mean, I, I don't know. They used to be fun in New York, and, and then they got to be so precious in Chicago. Why? I don't know. I've only That's the only one I've been to, so I have a great, <laughs> my only, my one and only experience was, was perfect. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a... You have a statue on your wall. I don't. <laughs> you don't. You should have. It's it's really funny. So that you remember remember Floyd Cardoz? Yeah. I remember. We asked him what what he would do if he failed to win the James Beard Award for the fifth time. And he said he would he would take down all the certificates for all the other wins. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, sadly, sadly, poor Floyd, we miss him. Yeah, he was yeah, he's he, a he, good person. Yeah. So, took, but back him. to cocktails. Um, are we, I, you know, I, I go back and forth um, with cocktails. Um, are we in some kind of a, a cocktail renaissance? Are we out of that already? 
Uh, and uh, where are we <laughs> with cocktails? Uh, they seem to that's a, they seem to be question. reviving uh, old cocktails, yeah. but they still have all these um, the the new um, what are they? They're culinary cocktails, um, very complicated and with all the kitchen ingredients and whatnot. Um, and and then there are all these people that aren't drinking at all, the Moxini people. Mm. And, yeah, so I, where are we with cocktails? I mean, that's a good question because I, you know, my kind of uh, understanding of it was, you know, back when I started working at PDT in 2008 was kind of like this renaissance of craft cocktails. You know, there were a lot of cocktail bars like Milk and Honey and Death and Company and Pegu Club and Flatiron Lounge, which just opened up. Uh, that were really doing cocktails right, and it became this very popular thing. It became part of popular culture, and it be, it, more people who weren't professionals in the industry were learning about cocktails and were able to kind of like know what a good drink was and how to get one and how to order a, a cocktail and how to get the right, you know, old-fashioned or the Negroni that you want. Um, but actually, I did some... Um, I did some research for my book, Say by the Bellini, and it wasn't really so much about, the book itself is not about the way cocktails were in the 90s, but I actually spoke to a few people who were bartending in the 90s. And it turns out that drinks really weren't that bad in the 90s. It was just a matter of like the fact that like very few people actually were able to record them because we didn't have smartphones. So I think that like there's an interesting kind of confluence with the craft cocktails and smartphones being able to record people's drinks so much more easily and be able to share them and document them and have the recipes really readily available. Um, so I think that there, there was a renaissance in terms of it being more popular and there are more bars and more places to go and more bartenders who are able to execute these drinks. But I think as far as like, you could probably always find a really good cocktail out there no matter what year it was. It was just a matter of like how easy it was to find. So I think it was, in the in the 2000s and then in the 2010s, I think it was more about like the democratization and all of those, um, you know, all this knowledge and all these books that people were reading and people were writing these books. You know, all this knowledge started to come out and be much more readily available. So it just became much more visible, I think, in this in this era. And I think that that's just sort of continued. And now we're just now we're just at a point where you can get a good Negroni at an airport bar, and that's just sort of yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, you you make you make sure that. People are aware of all the potential ingredients that would go into a good cocktail in your chapter called Cocktail Basics. Oh, uh, yeah, you exactly. start out at the front of, the, of your um, book. But usually that's in the back, and I always thought it should be in the front so people know what oh, they're talking about. Oh, it makes no sense in the back. Yeah, it should definitely be in the front no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you don't know what everything is. Great. I mean, why do all the other cookbooks put stuff in the back? You know, as an afterthought, and you go through reading, and you don't know what they're talking about. No. So. I agree with you. Okay. Um, you also you don't mention brands uh, unless it's absolutely essential, like Campari. You said. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But but brands really are important, aren't they? They're important depending on how what level of kind of cocktail you. Want. For me, for, for this book, um, I, I wanted I wanted it to be as accessible as possible because I, you know, I, I, I write recipes, I put recipes out on the internet, I get emails from people and messages and comments and things, being like, oh, I, I don't know how to find this ingredient or like, 
I don't want to have to go and buy a liquor, like a liquor store oh, or right. thing just to, able, just to be able to do these drinks. Like, how can I do this? Like, half of the questions I, ever, I get on the Internet are like, can I substitute this thing for this other thing? So I thought about making recipes for this book specifically that didn't rely on a specific characteristic of each brand. Because also, not only are brands not you know, hard to find in certain places, but also like people, a lot of times brands reformulate, brands go out of business, brands get acquired by other, other companies, and they do change. So it's, 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 a, it's a bit riskier to call for a very specific product in a, in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're, if you're doing cocktails like that, if you're, if you're really relying on like, um, you know, a, I could say a specific bot- botanical ingredient in like one kind of gin, I think that makes a lot of sense if you're working in a cocktail bar and you're able to have access to that and you have the full control over the ingredients going out and you can just serve that to someone without then having to worry about it. But when you're applying that to the home bar, it's just to me just seems really mean-spirited to say mm-hmm. if you don't use this kind of gin, then your drink is going to be terrible and you should just not bother because that just <laughs> seems kind of cool to me. That's, so, that's, really not, that's really not entirely true, right? Yeah. So I think that they're, you know, they're, and I actually encourage people on their own, you know, if they're really, if they, if they love a certain cocktail recipe, then they can find out for themselves maybe what their favorite vodka or their favorite whiskey is for a given ingredient, for a given cocktail and that's their own personal discovery, and I've, only, I've given them sort of the building blocks for that to, to you know, have that jumping-off point. Now, what, what, what does it take for, for a, a particular brand or a particular drink to, to, to make it to the forefront? I mean, I, I, look, I look through... The, you, you, <laughs> a lot of yeah. money. That's my story. When you go to Lima, Peru, or you go to Chile, and and you discover a whole new drink exists, called called pisco. Yeah. Yeah, and one of your you have a drink in there for pisco, and I read it. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I, I love pisco. I do too, actually. I never thought I would, but I really did. I mean, I didn't really until we spent time in Lima, and then I mm-hmm. became really in, involved with pisco. Yeah, you know, we, we we were at a restaurant where the the proprietor actually had his own, if you like, pisco factory. Wow! <laughs> and, uh, and 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 he gave he gave us a takeaway, which was one of those little racks of like three three in in a row kind of manifestations of pisco. Mm. And and in in in, a gla- in glasses that were designed for pisco. Did we have those yeah. glasses? And we gave no, them to I your gave, brother, I, I think. I gave them to my brother, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. I mean, wh- how, how nice can you be? Right. But, but you never, I mean, I, I, I drink, you know, straight scotch or straight, straight vodka. I mean, you know, for me to actually fall in love with them, um, and, I mean, the Pisco cocktails, I really never thought I'd like, because I really did enjoy them a lot. Yeah. So, um, it's a very versatile spirit. You, how do you remember so much from the 90s? <laughs> I was trying to figure out why I didn't. I suddenly... Uh, that's a good question. I mean, uh, it's not so much that I remember so much about the 90s. It's that that's what I remember. <laughs> what, what ends up in the book is what I remember. So it's sort of a, sort of a <laughs> skewed sample. Um but you know, I did do a lot of research. It was it wasn't you know it wasn't just you know writing 
you know, based on my recollection. So, you know, I, I put together a list of the kind of the, the pop culture, the things I wanted to write about, you know, the movies, the music, um, the toys, all that stuff, and then uh, then made the recipes based on those, you know, kind of as a sort of, you know, that tied in some way to that. And then when I came time to actually write the book, I, I did tons of research. I, you know, read books about the 90s, you know, watched, you know, old TV shows, you know, you name it, um, just to get, um, you know, little nuggets of information. Because I think it's like a book, a, even recipe books, like cookbooks, should be enjoyable as books, you know, and they shouldn't right. just be a list of recipes and and yeah, I mean, I actually, I, I read cookbooks more than I actually use recipes. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so do, me too. Here's a question for you. Do the monks still make chartreuse? Uh, the, as far as I know, they do. And something that's really interesting right now is that they've, um, there's been a huge, you know, increase in popularity for chartreuse. And so lots okay. of demand. And they have actually refused to alter their schedule to meet that increased demand. So oh, really? um, chartreuse is actually quite scarce these days. Um, but I kind of respect the work-life balance that these monks have, have, <laughs> have given for themselves. Because um, apparently they've actually, or they've been in trouble before with the Vatican for spending too much time working and not. You know, praying or doing whatever monks do. Um, so I think it's a really fascinating story. And it's, it's tough because so many great cocktails rely on chartreuse, and there's a couple of alternatives out there that are pretty good. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, you know, if, I'll, if I put a recipe up on the Internet that has chartreuse in, in it, I get tons of emails from people saying, like, you know, how, I can't find chartreuse anymore. Like, what, what, what should I do? Really? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, come to think of it, yeah. That was so pretty. <laughs> Do you yes, remember that? Great stuff. Yeah. Remember that cocktail that had different layers of things that are different colors? What was that? A pousse, pousse cafe. Pousse cafe. Yes, yes, yes. Whatever I've happened to that? I've never been able that? to make one. I don't know. They're too hard to make, and they're very. They rely on very sweet ingredients, so it's not something I think people are really like you know craving in, in terms of just like a very. Uh, like liqueur heavy cocktail um, that you know takes a long time to make and then if you're making it and you're a bartender and you screw up the layering then you have to kind of ditch the whole drink so as far as a, it's a huge risk <laughs> to put on the menu okay. and I, right. in all of my in all of my years of being working in bars and going to bars I've never I don't have ever seen a bar actually offering a food cafe on its menu no we, um, we had one restaurant I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but that was their specialty. So people all right. ordered them. So I guess you practice making all down. those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So. But it's yeah, it's a lot. But, no, I mean I I I'm surprised <laughs> that the Cosmo hasn't come back since we have the Barbie the film. <laughs> well, I put a, I put a there is a Cosmopolitan in there, and it's it's one of my favorite drinks of all time, and I think it's. Just sort of unfairly maligned. It actually has kind of an interesting origin story, and it's been been lots of people who claim that they invented it, but they actually don't have a lot of credibility really? in those claims. Um, and it's a beautiful drink. It's actually been around since the late '80s, and um, What's a friend it of mine actually, the Cosmopolitan. The what? The Cosmopolitan, the, the drink that you mentioned. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about, you had something about Barbie in the book. I can't remember what it was. Oh, I do have a Barbie cocktail, yes. My Barbie cocktail actually has, speaking of Pisco, actually has, has Pisco in it. Yeah, okay, it's very okay, refreshing. Okay, Pisco. Um, you know, uh, cassis and watermelon. It's very 
bubbly and, and juicy. It tastes like barbecue mouth. Now, let, let, let's, <laughs> let, let's pay tribute to the, to the cocktail you put on your, the cover of your book, the Bellini. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever been to that place where it was concocted in Venice? Harry's Bar. Where? Harry's Bar is where the Bellini was invented. Oh, it's no, invented. I haven't been to Harry's. No, not, not yet. Here's a, here's a funny story. We, 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 we went there for lunch, and we interviewed the owners of the restaurant who bought it from Harry. Yeah. Huh. Apparently, apparently, wow. apparently Harry sort of ran out of money. He, he, had, <laughs> he, had, he had built a restaurant in a hotel right close to the waterfront in... Mm. What's, what's the name of the town, sweetheart? Yeah, I can't remember now. I can't remember, can't, can't remember the name of it. It's on the border of Austria and Italy. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. But, um, yeah. <laughs> there, there's so much history involved, you know, and, and some writers have actually been able to capitalize on that, and I hope you can too, because um, mm. there's a lot of interest in history surrounding booze. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's a fascinating. I mean, there's the whole career of Michael Jackson's whole career. Not Michael Jackson. Right. Yeah, but Michael Jackson, the beer guy, cocktail yeah. guy. Yeah, the other yeah. guy, the other Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, the other one. <laughs> hey, the, 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 the other Michael Jackson and Peter were in high school at the same time. Oh, all right. We did not know each other, but... I, I did this. We, we met Michael at an event, and we discovered that, in fact, he, he had been at this particular boys' high school in Huddersfield, my hometown, and I had been in a different one. But we, but, but we never met until the ballroom at the Marriott Marquis and the James Beard Award. Uh-huh. So, anyhow... Um do you want people to, to how do you want people to use this book? Uh, that's a good question. I don't actually have an agenda. You know, for me, I think that there's um, people who, you know, I wanted it to be a book where the recipes themselves, you know, if you take them out of the context, if you just look at the ingredients and how they're made, um, are delicious and stand on their own. And then if you actually are to look in the, in the book and see how the ingredients or how the technique or how some kind of some culinary aspect of the cocktail ties into the, the, the cultural reference that I've, that I've put out mm-hmm. in the book, that just adds to the drink. So for me, I would be happy if, you know, someone says to me, oh, I've read your book cover to cover. I've never made, I, I never will make a cocktail from your book. I don't know how. Not, I'm not interested in doing it. For whatever reason, I'm thrilled. Um, or if someone says, hey, I just like, I ran through your book and I like, pulled out all these recipes and I you know, got all these cool ideas and I you know, love X, Y, and Z, and the, the fact that there's a, you know, a, you know, I don't know, a Jurassic Park cocktail, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them, I, I just also find to me. To me, I, I really wanted this book to be as accessible as possible and have as many points of, of entry uh, as, 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 as I could. Well, I mean, you, you have um, a, an audience also for just the general historical part of your of, of your book. With, I mean, the the, the films, the TV mm-hmm. shows were a riot. The games, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Throwback. I mean, I honestly, I haven't even thought of um, the millennia. Um, 
until, I mean, just reading your book. I forgot all about that um, hysteria we had over that. Oh, the Y2K, yeah. The Y2K, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and and the old uh, movies and stuff, there were a lot of bad movies worth there in the 90s. True, there were. Unfortunately, we've forgotten them, and we only remember the good ones. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but the, it, recalling the the debut of the Titanic movie was interesting, and your your comments on that was were interesting. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell our, our listeners what what your comment was? Well, I'm not sure what the what what you're talking about specifically, but. Um, I just I, I just love that it's like I was able to use um, ingredients that all kind of like saw the ocean somehow uh-huh. um, in in a way like so there's like Madeira which is like in the which is aged in barrels in the middle in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean not not anywhere near where the Titanic sank but uh, and there's dark rum which is barrel aged so it kind of has like this the the, the origin of all the ingredients kind of ha- calls to um, like the reference to the to the um, to the movie. Uh, but I don't. I don't know what 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 comment are, are you. Are I was you, talking <laughs> about the million dollar necklace. Oh yes, yeah. How how that was a very questionable idea. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew anything about that for some reason. I mean, I did, saw the movie, but uh, I, was, I mean, it was. Cameron I mean, it was made up for the movie, but it's a great story. Did, uh-huh. did, did James Cameron actually sue you for using it? No, I no. It's it's all parody. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Well, so um, all said and done, um, what is your favorite of the 90s cocktails? Um, you mean from my book or, or drinks that are from the 90s? Well, I mean, I guess you want to select something from your <laughs> book. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, uh, that's a good question. I have like, I feel like I, it's like they're like, they're like, I don't have any children, but I feel like it's sort of like to asking someone to, to pick your favorite, um, the fav- your favorite child. But um, uh-huh. I like there's this there's this one um, dark and stormy variation that's oh, right. uh, a reference that's a reference to um, it's this very um, obscure a- aspect of this TV show Melrose Place. And Melrose Place was like a uh, a spinoff of Beverly Hills 90210. I even remember and that actually. <laughs> it, it was a, it was really I, I loved it. Um, and uh, there actually there was this conceptual artist who uh, worked with this team of people to actually get these sort of like subversive uh, pieces of art uh, planted in the sets of the show. And there was no fanfare. There was no like you know PR campaign. It was just very kind of like odd choices like in the background of these shots and uh, it basically uh, it became this like meta storyline in the yeah. in the uh, in the show where like the show then started to sort of reference the, the 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 museum that was sponsoring the program so it became this kind of like weird self-referential thing that was very much like it's sort of like a preview of the way TV and movies are now where there's all these Easter eggs and there's all these sorts of like meta, you know, textual things that, um, that you could talk about that are beyond just what's on the screen. Um, so I think that's a really fascinating, to me, that's like a cool, very simple cocktail where you're basically infusing um, dried dates into rum and making a dark and stormy out of that. So it has this really nice richness to it. It's a very easy modification to do. 
Um, and then the reference itself is like a really cool, just, it was just one of those things that I discovered in the, over the course of researching the book that I was just like so fascinated by. I actually got the chance to interview the artist who did it, and it was just like such a cool thing, and so few people know about it. So that's, whenever there's a chance for me to talk about it, I always, I always bring it up. Yeah. Now, well, what, what I, didn't, I didn't know if that was for real or not when I read it. It is for real. It's then. for real. <laughs> now, now, did, did you also have the Royal Navy in there? The Royal Navy, no, I didn't. They, 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 you, you don't get a tot anymore, apparently. They did away with that about 15 years ago. But it, it, uh-huh. it used, to, used, used to be that well into the 20th century, sailors got a tot of, of quite substantial size during, during the afternoon of the watch they were on. <laughs> Right. Ah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to put in. I want to put in a quick apology, by the way. The world is not coming to an end, John, and this, the world yes. is not coming to an end. Listeners, what's happening is, unfortunately, the house next to us is being demolished. Oh, oh, oh I, didn't I didn't hear you hear it. And you can and you can hear it, but it's it, it's it's a good excuse to consume cocktails where you where you've, uh, you've sort of lost your way and, you, and you're getting altogether too much. Huh. Right. Well, John DeBarry, again, this, this book is called Saved by the Bellini, but you yep. are multifaceted uh, in writing. And, um, yeah, and um, I read, I think I came across your name and, and uh, another book title uh, in in an article paired with um, chaotic cooking. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I remember that. So, but thank you for taking the time to talk of to course. us. Thank you. Um, I, I had one thing. I just wanted. I think something you would appreciate is that I saw and talk about old things. I saw a, a clip from an, an old, um, what's her name? I Love Lucy uh, sketch uh-huh. uh, that showed Lucy admiring this really fashionable um, French model. And, and they identified okay. the French model. It was Cher's mother. <laughs> huh. You'd like that, <laughs> I think, wouldn't you? Yeah. I didn't know she was a model. <laughs> anyhow, I didn't know either. Well, anyhow, it was delightful talking to you. I knew Likewise. it would be. I knew you were going to have a sense of humor, which is certainly necessary in this line of business. <laughs> it, yeah, it definitely helps. <laughs> so, and yeah, and, and I hope you uh, have a lot of success with your book. And Thank that you. you keep writing and keep writing. I sure will, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's the plan. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. All right, thanks. Thank you.